Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. The first reading for today comes from Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out liberations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And the second reading today uh, starts at Mark 15, uh, verse 42. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he had learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to get into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Well, it's good to see you, brothers and sisters. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Uh, There's a story of a man who was visiting church one Sunday evening. Um, He sat down, and as he sat there, he grew increasingly frustrated with the preacher, Um, After the service, he he grabbed the pastor who'd preached and he said, Mate, you've got to work harder on your sermons. Every time I come here, you say the same thing. And the pastor said to him, Well, that's because you only come one Sunday every year and that's Easter Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. And so my message tonight is going to be about what? It's going to be about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and about the empty tomb. And I can think of no better topic to speak on 
Uh, No better truth to draw our hearts, affection and minds attention to on this particular Easter Sunday in Easter 2020. Um, I sat down to to write this message, at least to begin to write this message on Wednesday. It's, It's actually taken quite a long time to pull this together. So much going on in my head, so much going on in my heart, as I'm sure there is going on in your heart as well. But I did sit down uh, on Wednesday to begin to write um, something to say to us all um, at church uh, at this Easter, on this Easter Sunday. I sat down Wednesday, um, I had a break at about lunchtime and uh, I sat down at my kitchen table and as I, was, as I was eating some food, I was listening to the ABC radio. And live on the ABC radio at that time, Stephen Marshall, the Premier of our state, in South Australia, announced uh, to everyone that the second South Australian um, had died, had perished uh, due to COVID-19, the coronavirus. Uh, It just reminded me of the reality, the context we are living in right now. Uh, Death is around. Our mortality is perhaps on our minds, perhaps more than ever. Um, I also was in the shower this morning, actually, and and I was thinking of that song by Alicia Keys, you know, New York. Uh, and in that song that she wrote many years ago, a great song, uh, many of us will know the tune. She writes, New York, the concrete jungle where dreams are made of. And yet if you've been watching the news, following the reports out of the US and out of particularly New York and New York State, you'll know that New York is no longer the concrete, dream, concrete city jungle where dreams are made of. It's actually full of nightmare, as thousands of people have lost their lives due to COVID-19. I even heard this morning the sad and devastating news and and saw the images of um, the digging of a mass grave on an an island just off of Manhattan, where bodies of those who've succumbed to COVID are being buried. It's, It's tragic. It's deeply sad. And as a result, I can't think of of any better subject to to talk about for us to dwell on just for a few minutes now other than the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. Because if you genuinely believe and trust that Jesus is alive and well, that the tomb on that first Easter Sunday was empty, that Jesus is risen from the grave, then that means for you that your sins are forgiven. That means for you that you're going to get a new body. That means that you have a purpose and a, and, a, and a drive and an identity that cannot be taken away, that cannot be dealt, taken away even by death itself. And so there's no better subject for us to think about together today. You know, and the reality of the resurrection was not driven home to me just this week by the news on Facebook or Twitter or on TV of COVID-19 but through my inbox, an email that I received from a dear sister in Christ who lost her husband to cancer just a couple of years ago. She wrote this. I'll share a couple of sentences with you. She says, The resurrection has taken on such a new preciousness and perspective for me again. For obvious reasons, but I guess I didn't expect it to hit me in this way. The hope of seeing my husband again And knowing where he is now is really the only place where I can find true comfort. I see Jesus triumph over death with a fresh sense of reality in an urgent, tangible and visceral way. And I know many of us can identify with that even right now. 
that maybe in the last few days, maybe in the days to come, maybe in years gone by, we've lost a loved one. But we know that they are safe in the beautiful, bloodied, risen hands of Jesus, free from pain, completely at peace. And we know that we will see them again. And so there's truth, isn't it? That this truth of the resurrection of Jesus provides us with tremendous peace in the midst of anxiety. Amazing comfort in the midst of caverns of fear. Brothers and sisters, he is risen. The tomb was empty and that changes everything. And we should be shouting this from the rooftops Shouting it out of our lounge room, shouting it out of our studies. I don't know, shouting it down the streets in which we live. Actually, don't do that. Stay at home. That's what we're meant to be doing. Shout it out from the rooftop. Shout it out from your homes. There was an English preacher and pastor who, for his whole life, preached the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. He died of esophageal cancer. Um, Just two weeks before his death um, was Easter Sunday. And and he had no voice left. The cancer had eaten his voice. And so he got out a, a pen and a piece of paper and he wrote a letter to his daughter and he said this. It's terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, He is risen. But it's more terrible still to have a voice and not want to shout that amazing truth. And yet, most of our world isn't shouting that truth. But that doesn't mean it's no less wonderful This is the most wonderful news the world has ever heard. This is history-shaking, history-making events in our real time and real place. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien talks of the resurrection as being what he calls a eucatastrophe. That's the opposite of catastrophe. And in the midst of the the catastrophe of COVID-19, this is the the news we need to steady our souls, to keep us pressing on and to keep us holding out the life and the love of Jesus in a world of fear and anxiety and death and mortality. You see, the resurrection changes our today, it changes our tomorrow, it changes our every day. Those first words from the empty tomb on the first Easter morning that we heard in Mark chapter 16 were these. Look at it with me. He has risen. He is not here. Just as he told you, you know, look around the tomb. You'll not find Jesus because he's risen. He's alive. I hope you know that. I hope you know that the risen, reigning and ruling Lord Jesus Christ is at the centre, at the heart of the Christian faith. Um, In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus is the hinge upon which the whole forgiveness of sins and the whole hope of eternal life hinges. And he says this in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. If Christ, he says, has not been raised... Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let me say, right, if Jesus hasn't been raised, if Jesus isn't alive today, then switch off online church right now. Just do that. 
you know, go back to what everyone else in the world is really doing today. I don't know, sipping homemade soy decaf lattes or binge watching Tiger King on Netflix. I don't know. If Jesus is not raised, if he is not alive, we are to be the most pitied of all people in the world. We are fools. But, but if Jesus is raised from the dead, then that changes absolutely everything. So tonight, I just want to look at two things, the certainty of the resurrection of Christ and the consequences for us of his resurrection. So firstly, the certainty. You know, before I was a pastor, I was, uh, I was a researcher. Um, I was then a physiotherapist. I like facts. I'm not into kind of fluffy feelings. I want evidence. I want facts. And that's what I love about the Christian faith. Um, It's built on historical facts. It's built on evidence. So let let me just give you some of this. Let me just show you the evidence that we have. Firstly, right, the resurrection of Jesus was predicted. Um, It was predicted and foretold in multiple points along the way we can read of in the Old Testament. But then we zoom into the gospel and Jesus himself said, I will rise on the third day. He says, yes, I'll be beaten, I'll be flogged, I'll suffer and I'll die, but I will rise again on the third day. In Mark's gospel, there are three key moments we call the passion predictions where Jesus tells us this. Mark chapter 8 verse 31, Mark chapter 9 verse 31, Mark chapter 10 verse 33 to 34, where Jesus says, I'll be handed over. I will be beaten, I will be killed, but on the third day I will rise to new life. And so just think about this, right? If Jesus, if Jesus didn't rise, if he didn't keep his word, then he's a liar, yes? And, and nothing he said we can really trust. You see, the resurrection was predicted and Jesus was really dead. The arrests, the floggings, the phony trial, the beating, the nails through his hands, through his feet, the the spear in his side piercing up through his chest cavity into his heart. He's dead. Please don't tell me that Jesus wasn't dead on that Good Friday. And he was buried. You could easily find the tomb of Jesus. You know, there's this wealthy man we read of in Mark chapter 15, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who offers his expensive and unused tomb for the people to lay the body of Jesus in. And so they do. They lay his body there. There's burial clothes and a big stone rolled over the entrance, sealing it from anyone. He was really buried. And then you've got the eyewitnesses, right? All these people, men and women and crowds, who claim to have seen Jesus alive and well, breathing, eating, and doing all kinds of things. I mean, if you want great evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, these eyewitness accounts are probably the key. Why? Because they're credible, multiple people. They're widespread, a variety of people, and they were early, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. We have these attestations. You know, and it's not just Christians who go, yes, Jesus rose from the dead and I want to believe the scriptures, rah, rah. No, there's, there's great scholars out there, non-Christian scholars, who also say what we have here are credible eyewitnesses. Um, Giza Vermesh from Oxford University, Ed Sanders from Duke University. You will not find Ed Sanders really commending the Christian faith anywhere, but he says what we have in terms of the eyewitness accounts are fact. They're good. 
You know, and so we have the women, right? These eyewitnesses who, who went to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus. They saw it all. They saw Jesus die, Mark chapter 15, verse 40. They were there at the cross. They, uh, they were at the tomb, Mark 15, verse 47. They knew exactly which tomb Jesus was laid in. And they were there that first Easter morning at the empty tomb, Mark chapter 16. Now, I've said this before. I mean, if this was made up, if this was fiction, just a legend, just a myth, let me tell you who you wouldn't include as your eyewitnesses in the first century. You wouldn't include the women. Because in the first century, the testimony of women held very, pretty much no weight at all. But in God's amazing wisdom, maybe even in God's incredible humour, he chose women to be the first eyewitnesses. Oh yeah, and heaps of other people saw Jesus as well. The downcast disciples, Luke chapter 24 on the Emmaus Road. You've got doubting Thomas who put his fist into the side of Jesus. John's Gospel, Peter, James, John. You've got the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 500 or so or more people at once saw, claimed to see Jesus alive and well. Lots of people. And then you've got the empty tomb. This is a big one for me, by the way. I used to think that if I could only just see Jesus for myself, then I could be more certain. Actually, the empty tomb is really important. If you just saw Jesus, you might say it was a ghost, it was a hallucination. But when the women went to the tomb, it was empty. 1887, the year 1887, 22 years after the great US president Abraham Lincoln died, rumours sprung up, right, that Abraham Lincoln was actually not dead, he was alive. And so what did they do? Uh, they went to the tomb of Abraham Lincoln, dug it up, and exhumed some of his bones, put it all back together again, carried on with life. 14 years after that, right, the rumour that he was alive kind of resurfaced again. And so what do they do? Back to the tomb, open it up, dig down, we found some other bones. Put it all back together again. I'm here to say to us tonight at City Light Church North Adelaide or anyone else who happens to be watching this, that if you could go to the tomb of Jesus and search and search and search and dig and dig and dig, you will not find any bones. Why? Because he is risen. He is alive. The tomb was empty. Please don't give me the empty tomb theory, uh, the wrong tomb theory, sorry, or the, you know, Jesus' body was stolen by the apostles or by the, by the authorities. You know, the tomb was empty. You know, if you've ever lost someone you love, you know, you'll, you'll know that the tomb or the headstone or the, the plaque on the wall is really precious. It's a place where you might go and light a candle or place a photo or some flowers. There is no evidence that any of the early followers of Jesus returned to the tomb. No flowers. No placing of candles. No putting a photo. No shrine to a dead man because he's not dead. He was alive. Yeah, then you've got the early disciples whose lives were transformed from, from timid followers to mighty ambassadors, from fearful to courageous leaders. Why? Mark chapter 16, verse 6. 
He is risen. He is not here. I mean, have you ever wondered why why Mark's gospel doesn't end at chapter 15, verse 39? I think that would be a great place to finish, right? Um, With the centurion, the soldier, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. Cut, end, bam, end to the film. Wonderful. But it can't end there because he hasn't been raised yet. And all the evidence points to the fact that Jesus is alive and well, ruling and reigning today. On John Dixon's um, Undeceptions podcast, there's a great podcast that he's released called Easter Myths. And he kind of ties all this evidence together. And I'll quote him by saying this. He says, The best historical analysis makes plain that Jesus' tomb really was empty and plenty of people really did think they saw him alive. We have, he says, the kind of historical evidence a resurrection would leave behind. And much more evidence pointing in that direction than we would expect if this were a legend or a fraud. The tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. So my first question to us tonight on online church on this Easter Sunday is this. It's simple, but it's significant. Do you really believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? That the tomb was empty? That bodily Jesus was raised from the dead. Do you trust it? You know, they're the facts. And they ought to give us certainty and confidence that Jesus is alive. So what about the consequences? The consequences. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes your past, changes your present, and changes your future. The resurrection of Jesus from the grave changes my past, my present, and my future. See, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead um, is, is testimony of the goodness of God's power and the power of God's goodness. A power that undoes death. A power that empties the grave. A power that brings hope in the midst of decay. Peace in the midst of fear. It changes, firstly, your past. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you trust in the risen Lord Jesus, you no longer need to be burdened by your sin. You don't have to be weighed down by your past, by your failures and flaws and foibles. You don't have to sit at home in your shed, in your garden, in your lounge, wherever you are tonight, and be weighed down, shackled by all those things that you've done or by the things that you know you should have done. Your sin has been dealt with. The consequences of your sin, of my sin, which is death, has been overcome through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the cross really did work. How do you know the cross really worked? How are you sure that you're not going to meet God and on the last day find God saying, ha ha, see, fooled you, off you go to hell. How do you know that's not going to be true? Because of the resurrection. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval on the cross and saying the cross really worked. That your sins are really forgiven. You are free indeed. Nothing more to pay. The the, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave is proof that Jesus really is the long-promised Messiah. He's not a false prophet. He's not a royal pretender. He's not just a mere martyr. He is God's son. He's the heir of all things. He's Messiah, Lord, King of Kings. 
You know, back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where in the midst of the chaos of the fall and the catastrophe of our undoing of our perfect relationship with our maker, in the midst of that, God makes this wonderful promise that one born of a woman will come into the world and crush sin, crush evil and fix death once and for all. And Jesus comes and does that. He lays his life down on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for sin and then takes it up again to crush death once and for all. Jesus is the sin smasher and he is the death crusher. And so we can be sure that if we've come and put our faith in Jesus, moved by the grace of God, then we are free from the penalty of sin. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The death, the sting of death has been swallowed up in the victory of Christ. Please, please don't go through all of life weighed down and feeling guilty about your past. If you're in Jesus, you are saved. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. We are saved in and by and through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So says Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you and me if you're in Christ. To see how the resurrection changes your past. The resurrection of Jesus Connected to his death means that your sin, my sin, my death has been dealt with. The resurrection also changes your present and my present. If Jesus is raised, that means he's not dead. And and because he's not dead, what does that mean? It means he's alive. And it means that if you're in Christ tonight, we can talk to him He is alive. He is well. It means you can bring all your requests, all your hurts, all your sorrows, all your anxieties, all your joys to him in prayer. If Jesus is still in the tomb, you can't talk to him. But because he is alive and because Jesus is with us to the very end of the age, we can cry out to him. We can cast all our anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares For us, 1 Peter chapter 5, he hears you, he listens. And brothers and sisters, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a purpose, we have an identity, we have a security that cannot be sucked away because of death. It's wonderful. If you trust in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, our security is no longer in our stuff. I mean, I've been reminded, right, just over the past two weeks as we've been doing a little bit of self-isolation around the Jackson 5 household, I've just been reminded of how much stuff we have. You know, it's like project clear out the Jackson 5 house right now. I've got boxes of stuff. I've got boxes of stuff inside other boxes of stuff. All this stuff I've collected over time, that we've collected over time, thinking this will satisfy, this will provide me with some meaning and significance and purpose in life. I mean, a lot of it's going to end up going to Vinnie's, to Savers, for the Cowalts, for Maggie Cowalt to pick up, perhaps, down the track. I don't know, maybe Lauren Greger. See, the resurrection gives us a purpose, gives us a meaning that death cannot take away. 
That means that the resurrection is really crucial and critical to our following of Jesus. The resurrection of of Christ from the grave is crucial to our discipleship, what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. See, the, the resurrection of Jesus, above all things, right, means that we need to get busy with kingdom business. Um, I like this from N.T. Wright, um, who writes in his book, Surprised by Hope. Quote, when Jesus rose again, God's whole new creation emerged from the tomb, introducing a world full of new potential and possibility. Indeed, precisely because part of that new possibility is for human beings to be revived and renewed. The resurrection does not leave us passive, helpless spectators. No, he goes on. We find ourselves lifted up, set on our feet, given new breath in our lungs and commissioned to go and make new creation happen in the world. The resurrection means, brothers and sisters, that we have a task of both proclaiming the resurrection of Christ, but also embodying the resurrection of Christ, in that we show glimpses to people around us of what the new creation is going to be like and and what it's going to feel like to be there. You know, at City Light Church North Adelaide, we are resurrection people. And we demonstrate how resurrection impacts us, how it's lived out in life and work and family and our community. I just love, right, how Paul ends 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that extraordinary lengthy discourse or teaching on the resurrection. He's got this stunning imperative right at the end of chapter 15, uh, where he says this, chapter 15 and verse 58. Therefore, right, therefore, in light of the resurrection, your sins forgiven, death is no longer the enemy, get on with life. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Paul's telling the Corinthians, hold your ground. Don't let up. Don't give up. Why? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the grave on Easter morning, that first one, is the same power at work in them and by extension in us if we're in Jesus. Our certain future, the new creation, it gives purpose, it gives drive, it gives hope in the present and empowers us to live for Jesus and to love like Jesus. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe even in these unusual times, you're still considering missionary service somewhere to the ends of the earth. Maybe in these unusual times, you're thinking about putting your name on a roster to serve at church. Maybe you want to learn how to preach. Maybe you want to join and become a kids' church leader here at our church. I don't know. Maybe you're wondering about involving yourself in an organisation that seeks to end sex trafficking on the globe or alleviate poverty somewhere in the world. Whatever it is, brothers and sisters, do it. Do it. And here's the reason why the resurrection moves us to take risks for God. Because the resurrection proves, brothers and sisters, that God is behind us, he is for us, and he is with us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Our labour for the Lord is not in vain. Because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the tomb is empty, you and I can live with hope. And we need hope in these unusual days. I want to quote for us from a missionary 
His name's Gregory Fisher. It's, it's a longish quote, but I think it's good. He says, What will Jesus say when he shouts? The question took me by surprise. I'd already found out that West African Bible college students can, as some of the, can ask some of the most penetrating questions about the most minute details of Scripture. Reverend, he said, in 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 16, it says that Christ will descend from heaven with a loud shout. I'd like to know what that shout will be. I wanted to leave the question unanswered, to tell him that we must not go past what Scripture has revealed. But my mind wandered to an encounter that I'd had earlier in the day. I met a refugee from the Liberian Civil War. The man, a high school principal, was apprehended by a two-man death squad. After several hours of terror as the men described how they would torture and kill him, he narrowly escaped. He hid in the bush for two days. He was able to find his family again, but two of his children had lost their lives. And the stark cruelty unleashed on an unsuspecting and undeserving population had touched me deeply. I also saw flashbacks of the beggars I passed every morning on the way to my office. And every day I saw how poverty destroys people's dignity, robs people of the best of what it means to be a human, and sometimes substitutes the worst of what it means to be an animal. I am haunted by the vacant eyes of the people I see who have lost all hope. Reverend, he said, you haven't given me an answer. What would Jesus shout? Enough, I said. He will say enough. A look of surprise came over the face of the student. What do you mean enough? Enough of the suffering. Enough of the starvation. Enough terror. Enough death. Enough indignity, enough sickness, enough disease, enough of this decaying world, enough. End of quote. It's a good answer, isn't it? Enough of murderous Syrian governments. Enough of mental health issues. Enough miscarriage. Enough COVID-19. Enough child abuse. Enough domestic violence. Enough poverty. Enough. The world is messed up. This is not as good as it gets. And surely that reality is on our hearts and our minds everywhere we look right now. And because Jesus has been raised again, Jesus will come again. And with him, the perfect kingdom, the new creation, the future in the resurrection of Jesus has broken into the present to tell us that the best is still yet to come. This present age in which we live will not go on indefinitely. COVID-19 will not have the last word. Jesus will shout and he will have the last word. And at that word, the new creation will come in. Well, there'll be no crying, no sickness, no pain, no grief. For the old has passed away and the new has come. I mean, this, this is the hope which we live for. This is the hope we have of a perfect world. See, the resurrection transforms your past. The resurrection transforms your present. And it all tra- also transforms your future. 
You know, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've been following online church over the last kind of few days of Easter, perhaps for the last couple of weeks, but I feel like I've been quoting songs, singing songs, talking about songs that are somehow connected to our current situation. And to keep the trend going, here's one more. The words from one of the verses of In Christ Alone. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here, in the power of Christ, I'll stand. No guilt in life. If you're in Jesus, you're forgiven. The consequences of your sin have been paid for and dealt with and Jesus has has risen again to new life so that through him, his new life will overflow to you. No guilt in life and no fear in death. The reality is, right, that one person dies in our world every three seconds. That that, that means today 250,000 people, a quarter of a million people have died. And we can't avoid death. And the presence of death, the reality of our own mortality, is ever before us right now. But brothers and sisters and friends, listen to this. The tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. Death is not the end. Death, that feared enemy that sucks life out of everything, is no longer our greatest fear, our greatest enemy, our greatest threat. Death has died in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this quote, right? Quote, Christ broke up every funeral service he ever attended. Why? Because death could not exist where Jesus was. And if you're in Jesus, death is not the end. Transforms our grief. Transforms our attitude to our own death. And transforms how we care for those who perhaps we know who are dying. And please don't forget the wonderful hope of new, perfect bodies. You're getting a new imperishable body. I was reminded of this uh, two times in the past week. Uh, One is I was listening to the radio and they were talking about the consequences of what happens when you turn 40. I'm now 40. I'm about to turn 41. They were saying how the minute you turn 40, you start kind of groaning and grunting even when you have to get up or onto the couch. It's just, you know, life, your body is just kind of degenerating a little bit. But more significant than that. I was reminded this week that our bodies are weak and fragile and decaying. That the woman that I received the email from, I had a call with her, from her. And we were chatting a little bit about her husband's last moments. And I sat with him as he breathed his last. But just moments before my brother in Christ breathed his last and then entered eternity... We were talking about eternity. We were talking about heaven. It was quite remarkable. He was sharing with me how how when he gets to meet Jesus, when he's in that new creation where there is no more pain, he said to me, you know, I'm going to have a new body. I'm going to have new legs. He'd been in his hospital bed for a very long time. His muscles were wasting away. He said, I'm going to get new legs. He said, you know, the liver that's been chewed up by cancer, I'm going to get a new liver. And you know what? I'm going to leap. I'm going to leap in heaven. And he's right. 
because of the resurrection of Jesus, you and I are going to have perfect bodies. No more cancer, no more pneumonia, no more disease. Perfect, imperishable bodies. I mean, do you long for that? I want to say tonight, if you don't yet long for that, I promise you that one day you will. You've got to remember that Jesus was bodily raised and like him, one day we will have resurrection bodies that will never perish, spoil or fade. And so as we close, I'm asking you tonight, do you believe it? Do you believe that the, the, the the tomb was empty? That Jesus was raised? If you do, please don't be burdened by your sin. Leave it at the cross. Entrust it to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Talk to your Saviour today because he hears you. He is alive. And please look forward to the new body where death is not the end. Brothers and sisters, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you so much for the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you afresh this Easter Sunday for the empty tomb. We thank you, Lord, for the reliable eyewitness accounts that we have, from the women to the apostles to the crowd who saw Jesus alive and well after his death. Father, thank you that you've left us with this trustworthy eyewitness account. Father, help us to trust you. And Lord, thank you and we praise you tonight that Jesus has not stayed on the cross. He's not stayed in the tomb, but he's alive and well and gathering people from across the world to himself. Men and women like us who know that we are forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus, who know that we are now, because of your mercy, part of your family. We are resurrection people. And so help us, Lord, knowing our future, to live well in the present. Knowing, Lord, that our greatest threat, our greatest enemy death has been dealt with, help us to to live lives that model to the world around us what what it means to follow Christ. So, Lord, help us to live like Jesus, to to love like Jesus. Lord, help us, empowered by your Spirit, that Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, help us, Lord, to take risks for you, knowing that our labour for you is not in vain. And Lord, thank you for the hope that we have grasped. Keep us in this hope, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.